a must to listen to a podcast with Amanda Berry, who, before I met her, absolutely terrified me because of just the the sheer weight of what she does, which is BAFTA. I mean, BAFTA for all the celebrities and film and games and TV. And yet when you, when you meet her, you realize she's just like any other woman who has the same vulnerabilities and the same fears, but runs this extraordinary company and you will find out things about the company and BAFTA that you never knew before. So please, please listen. It's so nice to have you. Oh, this is such a treat. I know, I can't believe you haven't been to the studio. Oh, this is stunning. It's... I've followed you and your studio activity online, but to see it, it's just, I'm oh, really excited. You I'm like I a mean, kid in a sweet shop. It's weird because people expect it to be really slick and posh and all together, but it's a proper artisan studio where you'll see next door with yeah. all the people and I like I sort of like the mess and yet I live in such ordered state but w- the way I work I really like that feeling that people can mm-hmm. be creative in a space it's kind of weird actually because it's so different to the way that we live at home yeah can I just say yeah. that your mess is <laughs> other people's organized oh, offices I, I wish that. my offices looked like this they just don't and what I love about it um, you know is the structure of the building which is quite rough and ready and yeah, then you yeah, have yeah. all these stunning images around of the projects that you've done but there's a lovely energy here yeah, as well. Yeah it's a good energy it's all been feng shuied by Gary. Yeah. Crystals oh. everywhere you can't move. It works them. it's lovely. I, so might, I might move in. <laughs> we love it. So I met you, God, I don't know how many years ago, through a mutual friend of mine and yours, Tanya Breyer. Is that how we met? I think so, yeah. I was, I'm terrible at remembering how I know people. And I was in awe of you. Oh, and totally. I just feel you've always been in my life. And that's... I know, it's weird, know, isn't it? But I always say that in my later part of life, I've, I've, I, I really pioneer women. And mm. part of this podcast is talking to women that I admire and adore, but... I just feel like I've met so many amazing women in the last five years that I feel as close to people that I knew, that I sort of grew up with. And yeah. it's, I don't know what it is. It's kind of, women are so open. And I think we all enjoy each other's company and get yeah. so much from each other. I wonder if it's also an age thing in a positive way. That yeah. As you get older as a woman, I think you become more comfortable as to who you are, you also get to a stage where you sort of think, well, this is it, I'm not going to change now. It doesn't mean that there aren't new adventures and there's new things for you to do. But I think you sort of become more comfortable with who you are and therefore sometimes I think that allows you to let more people in or to be more understanding of different types of people so you do surround yourself with a greater range of of people Um, you know when I was younger I know that you know I I probably wasn't as social as I am now Um, and I'm just sort of I know who I am now and I'm quite comfortable with it because you know you are dedicated to BAFTA and the very word BAFTA to me, before I met you, was a sort of untouchable thing mm-hmm. that was for the, you know, the Hollywood A-listers. And yet, you know, it's all about communication, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. all about socialising. And, you know, it's such an incredible brand. I mean, it is a brand, isn't it? It is. And when I came into BEFTA, I remember saying to the people who interviewed me, you have this incredible brand 
and it needs to be exploited in the nicest possible way yeah. because it is part of the heritage now you know of culture in this country but also part of this country uh, BAFTA's been operating now for over 70 years yeah. and I have a, a long history with BAFTA from outside and in because when I got my first proper job as I describe it in a theatrical agency my boss was a member of BAFTA and okay. I remember thinking at that time that I truly hope that one day I will be qualified enough to be a BAFTA member so it was Amazing. a dream from when I was in my early 20s and after working in the agency I went into television and became a producer and became a member no of BAFTA. Okay. And so I thought, this is fantastic. I, I was so excited to be a member. And then I got the opportunity to produce the BAFTA award ceremony for ITV. Okay. So that was my first touch point with BAFTA. So here was this organisation that I'd been in awe of, I'd become a member of, and finally I got closer to it. And getting closer to it, I realised it was an organisation um, that couldn't dare to dream because financially it was in, you know, it was a really, really challenging time. Mm -hmm. And for various reasons, it had become less relevant to both the industry and the public. Right. And I just thought it had so many opportunities around it and I was quite frustrated by this. Mm. And going into personal stuff that I was getting divorced and I moved to Glasgow and all sorts of things were happening, mm. I then saw an ad for BAFTA where they were advertising for a director of development and events. Wow. And I thought, I want that job. I really want that job because I, I genuinely felt passionate Where about that. Where did you Baxter. see it advertised out of I interest? I think it was in The Guardian. Oh, I mean, really? I'm going back to the late 90s. Yeah. And it meant I had to move back to London from Glasgow. I had to cut my salary in half. I had to find somewhere to live because I was going through a divorce. But I was so passionate about it yeah. and determined that I did all those things and started at BAFTA in October 98, thought I would do three or four years, I would sort it all out um, and once I got there I just, you know, I thought that I was literally right place, right time. I get told off by people saying, you know, I was lucky to end up there at that time. They go, it's not luck, it's because you made it happen, but whatever made it happen, you I ended there. up there. and. Over the next couple of years, I was asked to be chief executive because the chief exec left and they had a couple of temporary uh, positions. And I just said, why would I want to do that? I've got the best job. I'm working to take the film awards before the Oscars. My job is all about growing and developing BAFTA and making it believe in itself again and making it relevant. And eventually I had a wonderful chairman at the time who said to me, Amanda, if you stop talking for long enough, I'll tell you how to do this. You're going to hire a really fabulous finance director uh, who can run the business and it will allow you to be the sort of creative, the creative director of the, of the business whilst being CEO. So I hired that finance director 18 years ago. He is still working with me now as my chief operating officer. And together, I'm so proud of what we've achieved. It's amazing, but just tell the story about how you know you moved BAFTA to be before the Oscars 
And I also want to hear the story about the carpet and the rain, because I know everyone's <laughs> going to want to know that. So explain okay. that, because for me, that was such a pivotal thing that you managed to do, because yes. in a way, the Oscars, you know, were like the diamond. And what I feel that you've done from an outsider and a real novice in, in your field is that you've put BAFTA absolutely alongside the Oscars, that you're both as bold and strong and every from everyone from America wants to be part of BAFTA as much as everyone in the UK wants to be a part of the Oscars. Oh, I love that. I'm going to use that statement. <laughs> I love it. So when you say moving before the Oscars, it sounds such an obvious thing to do. But no one had done it. But nobody had done it. And the reason they hadn't done it is, and it had taken 12 years of discussion at board level at BAFTA, because the Film and Television Awards used to be together, and they used to be in April. The reason it had taken 12 years of discussion to make the decision, and I know you're going to gasp as I say this, is there was a feeling that the Film Awards wouldn't survive without the Television Awards. So when you look at them today, that's actually quite hard yeah, to get yeah, your yeah, head yeah. around. So the year I joined at BAFTA was the first year they had separated the Film Awards. It was a standalone event, it was in April, I joined and working with a wonderful producer, Steve Woolley, who was at that time uh, chairman of the film committee, we talked about where should the film awards be. And we said, well, obviously they should be before the Oscars. The challenge with that, because again, at that time it was easy to say that, was that films were being released so much later in the UK than they were in the US. Okay. And for us to be relevant, we need to be judging. We needed to be judging the same the films same film as they were as in America. The Oscars, right. and that was a challenge. You know, this was pre-DVD. It was pre-digital. Uh, it meant we had to get prints over to the UK early. And, you know, so we sp literally spent two years talking to the studios going, look, we can make this happen. We need your support. People didn't believe we could make it happen, if I'm totally honest about it, but we were absolutely determined it was going to happen. So we managed to move the awards forward, 2001, but our ratings actually started to go down on television because we were honouring films that the public knew nothing about. Right. And remember, take this back, this is you know, yeah, a long yeah, time yeah. ago now, that the internet, you know, people are so aware of films months no, before they yeah. come out now. They just weren't then. You know, they just had no idea who these films were, you know, were by, what they were about, or whatever. So for a couple of years, it, it really was a struggle. And then gradually, the releases got closer together and it became more common to have day and date, you know, both in the US and here. Uh, but we did go through quite a tricky patch so, where we really had to believe this was the right thing yeah, to do. Yeah, but sometimes I think in business, you have to take those risks to be able, you know, if you believe in it enough, and I think if you focus enough on something, you can make it work and not everything happens overnight. But do you think that because the BAFTA nominations come out first, so you mm -hmm. have all your nominations, do you think that ha plays any part on people's decisions in the Oscars? Yes, I have to say yes to that because we have been you know, seen now for a number of years as an indicator of the Oscars. And I have to be really honest and say, when we look at our schedule, we always make sure uh, that the voting schedule and the date of the ceremony will have an impact on the Oscars. And we do that for two reasons, what obviously. What do you mean by that? So, 
if voting for the Oscars is still open when we announce our nominations, oh, okay, okay, okay. then it will have an impact. Right. And we do that for two reasons. Obviously, you know, number one, that I want to make sure that BAFTA has an impact. If we're seen as an indicator to the Oscars, number two to the Oscars, then we need to be able to prove that and deliver that. Uh, but also for the industry, you know, the film industry spend a lot of money, mm. you know, supporting the film awards, making all the films available, if people are nominated, flying them over. So we have to remain, you know, relevant uh, to not only the public, but also but to the rest of the awards season. But does it if uh, sometimes the, you know, the BAFTA happens, you have a nomination, you have the event and people win and da 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 and then go to the Oscars and it's different. Does that, does that matter? No, In I think... In a way, it, it's just different, yeah, right? I think it's about getting the balance right. If we're too much the same, then, then almost what's, what's the, the point? point? Yeah. Um, but you, we, so it's about, you know, being enough the same to say, well, actually, this is relevant and this is an indicator to the Oscars, but also being uniquely British about mm, it mm, as mm. well, because the majority of our members are Brits and they're based in the UK. So things are viewed in a slightly different way um, than, you know, they, they may be in the States. And I know this is also a silly question, but how do you, so how is, how do you nominate? I mean, like, who nominates? Like, is there like 10 people or is it a body of people? And how do you choose them? And Okay, so the uh, films are entered by the studios or the okay. producers. Okay. We then make sure that those films can be seen, which will be a mix of... Uh, you know, we want people to see them on the big screen if they can, but if they can't, because in our industry people are travelling a lot and everything else, we also make sure that DVDs can be sent out and films are available online. Right. So we want to have an informed membership who have seen as many films as they possibly can. We then have six and a half thousand voting members Whoa. in the Film Awards, and there are two rounds of voting. In some categories, all six and a half thousand vote. In other categories, we have chapters who vote, and it depends on the category as to whether it's like a super jury uh, in one round and everybody in the second round. So it varies, but there is a body okay, of six so and a half thousand. Okay, so it's a lot of people. You see, I think the majority of people out there will be fascinated by this because I thought it was like maybe 10 or 20 people that no. just sit around a table going, yeah, I liked it. <laughs> You're talking about the old days, but today <laughs> it's six and a half thousand people. That's extraordinary. Mm -hmm. And you talk about the, the, you know, BAFTA and film and BAFTA and TV. I myself am a BAFTA nominated. Uh, I didn't win, unfortunately, but I remember the moment. And, you know, I'd only done Dragon's Den for two years, but when... When I got that call, I honestly thought it was like the most amazing thing in the world because it's such an untouchable thing. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel like I was in the slightest bit qualified to be nominated because for me, it's something that is such a big, it's such a big prize, although I was thrilled. But it was, for me, I had no idea so many people would have actually done that. I thought it was just a few people around yeah. a table going, oh, yeah, she was all right. You well, know. It, it's different across the different ceremonies. So in television, uh, it is more jury-based. 
um, but they're you know bigger than ten people. Yeah. Um, and or experts in their field. So to be you know because when you think about the sheer number of hours of television that are produced, we do need to rely more on a jury system to make sure that they're able to see. And everything. how do you? This might be a difficult question, but I mean. Do you sometimes, are you sometimes upset that something hasn't, you know, won a a BAFTA or you're like so shocked at the outcome you don't understand? I mean, is there that? Because you're so, you're so like you live and breathe film and TV. I don't think I would ever have gone as far as shocked, if I'm honest. There's times where, you know, my personal favourites maybe haven't been nominated or haven't won. But I think when so many people are part of that process, Mm. you have to think, well, maybe they saw something I didn't see or whatever. And I I have to spend my life as CEO of BAFTA being neutral, (laughs) which is quite hard. That's a really hard thing, Um, especially as a woman. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, but when I look, you know, across the five nominees in each category, do I mostly agree with them? Yes, I do. Uh, but, but do you equally... think it also has a lot to do with what's going on, say, politically or in the world? Like a certain film might get more nominations because of something topical that's happening in the world. Or the, you know, do you know what I mean? Well, I think you know things can grab attention for a number of reasons. And obviously, if you're going into voting for something and you're living in the, you know, you know, there are stories of, of certain times in our world, mm. aren't there? So yes, mm. I think, you know, that can have an impact. But also, if you are an editor looking at a film and judging the editing on that film, that will be your That's focus. Very specific, yeah. But, you know, you might have been drawn to that film because it's telling a story that, you know, it might it's be politically really or historically, yeah. it might be really relevant. Mm. And just... Tell the story about the, the carpet, because it, it's just such an incredible story, and it's such a simple thing. I know. So this is when... You the, moved the first BAFTAs, wasn't it? It was one of the first ones that I did. It, I think it was the first one or we did at the Odeon Leicester Square. Okay. And it was as we were starting to grow and develop the event, and we've had to keep moving as the event has got bigger to go to bigger... Uh, venues so we were at the Odeon Leicester Square I think people can probably visualize the big length of pavement outside the Odeon Leicester Square just between the Odeon and the park and for health and safety reasons the red carpet had to have fire retardant in it because if the if we'd had to evacuate people from the cinema, that that became the safe space think, yeah. for people to go to, having to get that many people out. So <laughs> it then rained. started to rain, and it rained like you can't imagine, and you suddenly start to think about all these things you haven't thought about that actually by putting carpet over pavement you're blocking drains and everything else but we had thought we had thought about that you know because it went downhill so therefore you know rain would run off and it is february and it does rain but nobody had told us that if the rain was so heavy the fire retardant would start to come out of the carpet and as it did it just looked like soap suds. <laughs> so we have red carpet umbrella wranglers, as they're called. This is such a thing because it is in February and it can rain. 
and they were dispatched to find lots of brushes and literally we were brushing the suds off the carpet okay hopefully it doesn't exist because it's very early days um but people were arriving on the red carpet that looked like it was covered in washing up liquid there were no two ways about it um so i of course see the positive in this and was very you know apologizing to everybody while saying well isn't it great that your Jimmy Choo's are going to be fire retardant for life? <laughs> as I was being slightly scowled at at the time. But, you know, it was one of those things. It was something we had to do. It was for absolutely best intentions that if there'd been a and problem... And it got the headlines, I'm sure. And it got the headlines. Yeah. And here we are, you know, still a number of decades later, still talking about it. It's just brilliant. It's such a great story. It just shows you, you can plan to the nth degree... But if you don't ask the question, what happens to the fire retardant if it rains? Yeah. Then, and I don't know what we could have done about it anyway, because it had to be well, on the carpet. Everyone was talking about it. So BAFTA is doing for the industry for new talents and amazing initiatives. Tell me yeah. about that, because I'm very pro all of that. Mm -hmm. And when I met you, obviously it was something that we've talked about a lot. But I, I don't think the whole world know, knows about it. Yeah. And the fact that BAFTA is a charity a charitable mm -hmm. organisation, which again, people associate BAFTA with celebrity, movies, Hollywood, you know, all yeah. of that. So tell me a bit about that. Well, you're absolutely right in how you describe how people see us. And for me, once we had started to grow and develop the awards, new talent was an absolute priority for me. And we have this wonderful... I must come up with a better phrase. I've got two, and I'm not quite sure either of them are right. I either describe it as this wonderful BAFTA ecosystem or as a BAFTA superpower. And what I mean by that is through the awards, we have relationships with the people who are the very, very best at what they do. Mm. And we ask them to give back. We ask them to support the next generation of talent. So once we've developed and grown the awards and had those relationships, we decided started to work out what best we could do you know what was best we could do for the next generation of talent because I genuinely believe that you know talent is absolutely out there but opportunity isn't mm, always there mm -hmm. or you don't know how to find that opportunity so, so new talent is what I am most passionate about we have a number of initiatives. One of the ones I'm really proud of is Breakthrough Brits that started in Los Angeles in 2011 with an event we did with the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge mm. where we showcased 40 rising British stars to the biggest, name in ho biggest names in Hollywood across film, games and television. Uh, we then relaunched that in 2013 as Breakthrough Brits. Mm. And I'm very proud to say that last month I was in Shanghai with our wonderful Breakthrough Ambassador, Tom Hiddleston, and we launched After Breakthrough China. And I don't think people understand, because as you know, I you know, work a lot in China, and it's taken me 20 years to build relationships and learn how to communicate there. It's really hard. Yeah. And what you pulled off there, because obviously I knew about it and, and watched you on social media, um, was pretty outstanding, I have to say. I take my hat off to you because yeah. not only is there this massive language barrier, but also what you're trying to actually do is a lot deeper than just BAFTA and film. Yes. And it's trying to 
find that balance, isn't it, yeah. to an audience that might not really be interested in the bit that you you think is important. Mm -hmm. do, do you know what I mean? So for me, I'm interested to know how you balanced that and managed it. Well, I came back from Shanghai literally describing myself as reborn and bouncing off the walls. Oh, wow. And the reason I did that now was you know because... you I feel. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know how... Exactly what you said. I didn't know how we would be received, how the messaging would be understood, and we were welcomed with open arms. Mm. I have to say, the reaction we got there, was so positive. Mm. And, you know, what I was so thrilled about was, and again, this involves the Duke of Cambridge, who's been a big part of all our new talent activity. And I'll talk a little bit more about other things that we do, because Breakthrough is only just one part of it. He and I, and you were there as well. We were I in know, Shanghai in 2015. And it was early days talking about yes. it then, I remember. And we presented a replica BAFTA mask for Raise the Red Lantern, uh, which had won a BAFTA a number of years previously, to the Shanghai Film Museum. And the Duke and I presented the award and said that it was to celebrate the rich film culture in China, but it was also a very public promise that we intended to work more closely with creative industries in mm, China. Mm. So what better way to be doing that than going to Shanghai last month and saying, we made this promise, we're now reaching out to all the creative industries saying, suggest your new talent, suggest the people that you think will be part, could be, you know, benefit from this scheme. We will then work with you to mentor them, bring them over to the UK. And for me, everything we're doing in China is about creative and cultural exchange. China mm. is such a massive market for film, oh, television I mean, and games. Huge. And it would be ridiculous for BAFTA not to be, you know, working in China so and engaging in China. You're so good at doing that because, you know, it's, as I said, I've been doing this for 20 years, but every time I go back, I'm astounded again and again and again. The hospitality, oh, the sheer wonderful. scale of welcome, launch, production, creativity, they absolutely love it. And yet, the two cultures couldn't be more different, and yet for some reason it works. And I think with something like this, you know, because it is business what you're doing, mm -hmm. ultimately, I know it's creative, but there's that buzz, isn't there, when you're oh, a businesswoman and you go there and it works, and then it, you feed off it, and you, as you say, you come back, you're bouncing off the walls, and mm -hmm. of course, it's like a mind map, isn't it? You start to create all the other things, and more yeah. things come out of it, and I think... For me, that's what's so fascinating, doing a podcast and looking at you as a businesswoman and BAFTA, is that it's not like you're owning and running a company, and yet what you're doing is owning and running a company, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, but your passion and your dedication to it is, is so incredible, but it is so reliant on other people. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's one of the hardest things in business, that you can be the strong businesswoman and know what you want. But if you're constantly relying on other people, mm -hmm. it's tiring and it's really deflating, isn't it? Because you can't always rely on everybody the whole time to come up with, you know, because like, I, I remember sort of pre-BAFTA, I'm like, well, who's coming? And you're like, I'm still waiting and I'm negotiating and mm -hmm. I'm pulling. I mean, it must be so terrifying. Yeah, I mean, I think surrounding yourself 
you know, in, in the office, in your workplace with people who share your passion and share your dream. You know, I often joke with my staff that if I cut them down the middle, like a piece of rock, it would say BAFTA, yeah. because I have the most incredible well, team I might nick that. Uh, who <laughs> work, uh, you know, harder than they get paid to work yeah. uh, because they share the passion. And I think the reason I'm still at BAFTA you know, I honestly thought I'd do three or four years, sort it all out and leave, and I've been there since 1998, is because every day something tangible happens. And I use really corny lines like dreams come true, but they do. Mm. You know, when Letitia Wright stood up at the Film Awards this year and she won the E! Rising Star Award and said she was, she was about to give up, she was in a very, very dark place, and it was only her faith and a call from BAFTA selecting her as a BAFTA breakthrough yeah. Brit very that thought, I can do this. And I was sobbing because mm. I'm doing it now. I'm almost shaking mm. because I'm just thinking, you know, we can make a difference. We can change lives. We can give people opportunities. Mm. And I hear so often that people's parents don't believe the creative industries are a proper job. Mm. And when BAFTA comes calling and offers to fund a scholarship or you become part of one, you know, BAFTA crew, one of our, you know, or one of our other new talent schemes, or we, you know, identify, identify you as a fantastic writer and we want to support you, so often we hear, oh, oh my parents now believe in what I'm doing mm. and they think it's real. And, you know, that is incredible. It's so amazing and it's so weird because people, you know, I don't think people really understand what it is that BAFTA does other than have a film awards. Mm -hmm. And as you know, I'm really passionate about mentoring and I work with uh, the Diana Awards now with, with, with Prince Harry in mm -hmm. terms of mentoring. And it was quite interesting just having a conversation with him the other day and talking to these young kids and it was like, we all get mentored, kids get mentored, but not always in a positive way. Yes. And they showed this film with this young kid going, yeah, I've been told it's not cool to get up in the morning, it's better to stay in bed. That was someone mentoring them. But on the other hand, it could be... You better become get a late-night DJ and, then. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? But you can, it's yeah. like a sliding doors, yeah. like the movie, you go left or right. It just depends on who is there to support you. Yeah. Totally agree with sliding doors. I use that a lot. Yeah, it oh, really? really does. And I think, you know, if I have a saying, which, again, I use a lot, which is believe and achieve, doubt and live without. And I think giving people whatever the tools they are yeah. to believe in themselves because yeah. when I think about you know what drives me it's not the feel of fear of failure it's not wanting to be successful it's an absolute passion and belief well, I was going to ask you that so it's, yeah, it's what that. I want to do yeah. and also I want to, whatever I do I want to do it in the very best way possible and mm. I want to be the very best me yeah um, and somebody said to me you're an enabler and a manifesto and I think well actually that's what gets me out of bed mm. in the morning and you know I find myself drifting if I get stuck behind my desk too often and you know that's why I need you know days like today yeah. um, going to China launching new initiatives you know talking to people we're supporting uh, because that makes it so tangible and real I mean we me. talked about this I know I was like sort of helping as much as I could when you were raising the money for the mm -hmm. building and there was a moment where you said to me like you know this is draining because I'm not doing enough of what really fuels me mm -hmm. and it's really interesting because we all have to do things that we don't want to do in yes. business a hundred percent 
but you have to have more of the creativity if yeah. that's what that that's the sort of person that you are yeah. because it's so important otherwise you become uh you just sort of die inside. You, you can't. Do. You cannot manage it. And then when the good things happen, you've you've dragged yourself down so far that you don't see the joy. Yeah. You know, we are very lucky. We have incredible lives that open so many doors and opportunities. Mm. But you have to be in the right frame of mind to do that. Mm. And you know, if you've just got bogged down for whatever reason then everything becomes an effort and Mm. actually it should be a joy because these are extraordinary things that we're doing tell me something i remember when i was nominated it was the lovely stephen magnus who i met stephen mangan yes and he said oh i'm going to be um presenting the bafta um craft awards craft awards that's right you remember this (laughs) i do remember this i know where you're going with this (laughs) i said to him Oh, what's that? Sort of people that are good at sewing. <laughs> it was very funny and he couldn't stop laughing. I know. So. But, um, so what's next? Well, we're still fundraising for the building. Yeah. But we have started. Started. The strip out started uh, a few days ago. So that's all Join happening. my world. I know. Um, my hard hat hasn't arrived yet, but... Uh, I hope it's golden. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, apparently, you can tell me this, different colour hard hats mean different things. Oh, really? So, yes, apparently they do. So if you're on a building site, the colour of your hard hat is actually quite important. No, so you want I will gold. Be, I know. It was either, <laughs> I wanted a pink one, but I haven't worked out what that means yet. But it's fa- this is another example of how fascinating my job is. I mean, who would know that I would, you know, learn about hard hats? Oh, well, I uh, but anyway, that. there you go. Um, so we've opened a pop-up BAFTA, BAFTA Piccadilly, uh, next door, 194 Piccadilly. Amazing. So that worked out perfectly. And what's particularly exciting about that space is for the first time we have a public space. So we're putting in an exhibition celebrating our crafts, not sewing, but hardly (laughs) sewing. Uh, So it's an exhibition that really brings to life costume design, cinematography, production design. So the public can come in, see the exhibition, have a cup of coffee and a BAFTA bun. And I'm really excited because we've never been able to do that before. Um, So that is our space for the next two years. It will also have a member space as well. But that public access is brilliantly exciting. With Breakthrough, we're going back to China this autumn to announce the winners. October. Oh, I might Just, be there. Okay, we'll Tell keep in touch date, about that. I don't I'm, know yet because we're uh, trying to juggle. Okay. Um, with who can come out with us and everything else, but sometime in October, and then next year we'll do uh, BAFTA Breakthrough India and BAFTA Breakthrough USA. Amazing. So that is going totally global. So a lot of activity happening around new talent. A lot of activity happening around the building, which is really exciting as well. Uh, and also we continue to grow and develop the awards mm. so we're looking to do something quite different with the film awards next year which we're working on uh, but you know we also have the television awards the television craft awards mm. the games awards the children's awards we have awards in glasgow los angeles and cardiff so i don't so, think people realize you know no. i don't think they realize quite how big the brand is and I think it's important to say it's a brand because yes. it is and no, you've it is. really helped grow it and create it into something much, much bigger than it ever yeah. was. And what I love is the fact that you're like me, you know, you visualise everything that you're saying. Mm-hmm. I know how your mind works and it's like I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm yeah. doing this and I'm sure as you're saying it, you're thinking, oh, I and I could be doing this. Yes. 
I know what entrepreneurs, like how their minds work, and I think that's what's so brilliant, is that to have that sort of creative mind. But the question I want to ask you is like, um, first of all, how do you juggle and balance work and life? <laughs> and um, is there one person that you, that you kind of go to? Is there someone that you always sort of feel like I can go to to ask a question and know I can get a real answer? Um, I think I should ask you how you do that work-life balance thing because your life is, you do a lot more travelling than I do because I do find travelling exhausting. You know, it is, it's horrid. Um, And, you know, for every great trip where you have where you come back with energy, you can have other trips where you just come back feeling completely drained and you know what it's like, the run-up to the trip, you're just focused on it but the day job is still piling up in the run-up whilst you're there and, and when you get back. You know, I think I've only just cleared my email backlog. It's taken me about three weeks to clear it, just to try and get on top of everything again. You know, but China was so important that, you know, that's fine. You just have to sort of accept you can't do everything Mm. for a while. Um, I think I'm probably not very good at work-life balance. I think we're probably both quite lucky that we're able to do, we have work-based social events that we're able to be social at. Um, So it doesn't quite feel that you're still working, but again, that's about making sure that you're finding the joy in those events Mm. and not just thinking, oh my God, it's been a really long day and do I have to go? Um, But I I genuinely do find it hard because I love film and television. So if you ask me about my hobbies, it would be film and television. Well, I know that so, I always call you up to know what to watch <laughs> exactly. on a long, long flight. So, you know, it is, that, that is quite challenging. And I keep saying to myself, you know, you must get another hobby. You must do other things. And I you do started feel... running. I have started running, yes. So that's something. And for me, I think work-life balance is also just about taking the time to appreciate life mm. and going for that walk along the river, you know, making sure you Having make the plans to catch off. up with friends. And I think that's where I'm bad. You know, work, if something has to be done for work, it's absolutely organised, it's set in stone, it's in the diary... I'm not as good at doing that with friends. It can often be quite last minute. Mm. Um, So I I do find that hard. And, you know, my switch off is watching a film. So it's it's quite I mean, the only time I ever get to watch film is really when I'm on a plane. Although we did go the other... We just randomly said the other night, let's just go and see Yesterday, Mm -hmm. which I loved, by the way. I thought it was a great film. And it was just so nice to go to the flicks. You know, and just sit there and, and watch a movie. And I think in a funny sort of way, we've sort of lost that with the internet now, mm-hmm. haven't we? That people tend to, or, you know, now that you can watch everything on Netflix and yeah. whatever, you, you've you lost that thing of going out on a date night and actually yeah. going to the movies. Well, it's getting that balance, isn't it? Because it's amazing that so much content is accessible and you can watch what you want to watch when you can watch it. Mm. Uh, but as you say, that just making the effort to go to the cinema and it does feel like a proper night out and you're watching it on a screen big screen you know in the way that the you know filmmaker intended because whenever you call me say i'm I'm going on a flight what should i watch i think okay 
what can you watch on that small screen? Because I remember being on a flight, I think I was coming back from the States, and somebody was watching Gravity on the plane, and I had to literally physically restrain myself from going up to them and saying, please save this with the big screen. Um, interesting. I would never even think of that. But, you know, for them, it was maybe their only opportunity to see it. So, therefore, it's great they're watching gravity but I do think and I, I do that when I'm going on planes as well as to well what am I happy to watch on a smaller screen and what do I want to save for the big screen but yeah. I, think, I think lots of people do that now I could go on talking to you forever it's just I've in a funny sort of way I find doing these podcasts it's like I, there's just so many answers I want it's almost a personal thing but I know other people want to know um are you good at saying no Yes and no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm, I've got better. I think you're much better than saying me. no. And I think that partly came from the realization that you can't make everybody happy all the time. Mm. And so just saying yes to everything because you think it'll make people happy, just it doesn't work. Mm. So just accept that that's the case and really work out. I mean, this is what I tell myself. It's not what I always do. Where do you add real value? Because, mm. you know, you and I, yeah, again, really get invited to yeah. so many things. And, you know, again, with all my sayings, I have a saying, only do what only you can do. So where can you add value? Where will you being involved with something, attending something, you know, really make a difference? Mm. The other thing I struggle with is I'm pretty rubbish at delegating. And it's not because I don't trust other people, because I say I've got the most amazing team. It's just in my head, I'm already cantering ahead as to what it looks like and how it can be done yeah, and everything else. that's an entrepreneur. It's the and... same with me. I've got <laughs> loads of people next door who are my soldiers. They are unbelievable. We go to battle every day. And yet, I'll say, can you do something? And then I do it. And they yeah. go, but why did you just ask me to do it? And I, no. I can't help it. What you need, and again, I've, you know, it, it depends on the team around you because some people are good at this and some people aren't. And again, we both know that you need lots of different types of people around you because if everybody had the same strengths, you, you wouldn't achieve mm-hmm. what you needed to achieve. So you need to make sure you have people with different attitudes, different backgrounds, different experiences, different strengths. You know, some of my team are really good at managing up and they know that I'll immediately grasp something and try and run with it and they'll go, we're just letting you know that this is what we're doing. Oh, right. We'll let you know, you know, when we need you to input. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> and then with other people, I know they'll let me just grasp it and run with it. So then I'll, I'll encourage them and I'll try and say, well, look, you could do this. Let's just, why don't you start doing yeah, the first yeah, draft? Yeah. We'll then catch up. I'll see where I can input. But it does come back to that only do what you can do well you're great with saying I'm not going to nick them (laughs) thank you so much for sharing all of that it's really fascinating and just keep doing what you're doing because we love BAFTA ditto